Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. As we near the end of October and look ahead to the month of November, a new month always means a lot of new information for investors to evaluate. Now, in addition to that, this week we will be hearing from the Fed as they will be holding their FOMC policy meeting on Wednesday, among some other important policy events. So joining us here for the CIO Strategy Snapshot to discuss it all with us, glad to welcome back the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason Dreho. Jason, great to have you back here to kick off another week and a busy week we have ahead of us. So looking forward to hearing your insights. Going down, yes, busy weeks and good to be here. So, Jason, before we look ahead to what the days ahead will have in store for us, can you touch on some recent notable economic data, in particular the Q3 GDP print results and what it says about the state of the U.S. economy? Well, last Thursday, we got the 3Q GDP number. It came in at 4.9%, a very strong result. Uh, and even in the weeks prior to it, the number, at least among the you know the consensus forecast, had been continued kind of revised higher, coming in ultimately to, to a level that uh, you know far exceeded expectations at the start of the quarter. You know, at the start, the, the view was it's going to be around 0.5%. Now, that's a pretty sizable miss to be four and a half percentage points away. Uh, I think it validated what you know all the other data was telling us, which was you know, the economy you know essentially accelerated during the summer. Uh, kind of across the board, we saw you know good data of you know for private demand. Uh, some of the number the, the headline number was inflated a little bit by strong inventories, which typically means there's some kind of payback you know in the subsequent two quarters. So we could see GDP in the fourth quarter and the first quarter being a little bit lower. Uh, you know, as a net result. But the overall story was a a, a very strong, you know, number consistent with a, a broad range of data we're seeing of, of the U.S. economy holding up quite well. Not a lot of indications of it, you know, slowing down, at least just not yet. That will will change. We'll come to that in a few minutes. Uh, but it's also such a, a high number that you could cut it in half uh, going forward, like the, the economy, you know, the, the growth could be half that going forward, and we're still basically only around trend or even slightly above uh, you know, there's an element that you could say this is also a backward-looking number. It tells us you know, where the economy's been, not where it is right now, or where it's going. Uh, I think it's also important to understand, like, you know, the economic fundamentals that enable this growth rate. You know, also give us reasons to be, you know, reasonably comfortable about our expectations that there won't be a recession starting anytime soon. Like, you certainly through the next, you know, I think, you know, few quarters, next say 12 months. Because to get this kind of level of growth, you have to have a consumer that is. You know, both you know reasonably healthy in good financial shape. It is you know relatively confident about you know, their ability to spend and consume it right now, despite some of the sentiment measures suggesting perhaps otherwise. At the same time, you have to have businesses that are continue to want to invest, and we're still seeing that you know hold up you know decently well. Um, and unless there's a significant you know uh, risk event or shock that would cause that behavior to change, even with the rates going higher, you know what we just expect is a moderation of this activity. Not necessarily a kind of falling off a cliff where a recession would begin imminently. So yes, a moderation is likely, but the underlying strength suggests you know, really you know, solid fundamentals overall that gives us a you know, reasonable confidence that again the recession is unlikely to start anytime soon, certainly next few quarters or next year. So, Jason, on a related note, we do have the Q3 earnings season in full swing. We're about two thirds through it at the moment. I know we have a busy week of reporting ahead of us, though the results we've seen thus far, what are your takeaways? 
would say they're solid but underwhelming. It may have been a little bit of investors were hoping the earnings season would be a bigger catalyst to trigger equities to, to rally into year end, especially after what was a difficult in September and reacting to the rates. So getting earnings that sort of validated some of the valuations, I think that was uh, the expectation and maybe a little bit more of kind of the hope. Uh, we are seeing earnings growth on a year-over-year basis of 3%. This is the first quarter in over a year in which earnings are actually growing by that metric. Uh, and it's sort of in line with the CL expectations of about 3% earnings growth for the quarter. I think relative to other expectations though, in terms of both earnings per share uh, and revenues, you know, the beats that we're seeing you know, are you know, they're positive, but you know, a little bit less than they were in the second quarter. Uh, and revenue in particular is beating by a lower rate than it normally has which in light of the 4.9% GDP and you know, over 8% nominal GDP growth, you know, the assumption should be that this would be a strong revenue uh, outcome. Now, the revenues could be good. Again, it might just reflect that expectations had been you know, over-exceeded what was actually come economic reality at this point in time. I think as a result, what the market is doing is sort of penalizing those companies that do miss by sort of more than normal, meaning if they, they fall short of earnings, Instead of being down 2%, their stock price is down you know, 3% the next day. On the flip side, those companies that are beating results are being rewarded less than normal. So again, this sort of speaks to you know, relatively lofty expectations going into the earnings season. Uh, we didn't see the typical and aggregate down guide of companies that uh, has the market taking down earnings expectations overall, and then companies report and they beat them and then we're kind of back to where we started. So perhaps you know they, because the guidance you know wasn't particularly negative going into the quarter, that it just hit the bar high. Now we're seeing that companies, in some cases, are, are struggling to you know, to beat that. And then there's also you know, some idiosyncratic results. You know, Google or Alphabet get disappointed on cloud as a result. Their stock price last week, the day after, you know, was down quite a bit, and that led to a bit of pullback uh, in the you know kind of the broader tech, you know, communication services areas overall. So not a bad numbers if you take them sort of at face value and sort of what was expected. I think the the overall Perhaps whisper number was that there was also the even stronger big catalyst for, you know, the rest of this year for equities to go higher, and it hasn't been the case. Okay, so some interesting takeaways. Thank you, Jason, for sharing. So if we look ahead a bit, as mentioned, a lot of news events this week. I mentioned the Fed meeting to begin the month of October, data being released to another big week of earnings. What are you watching for, and what do you think is most relevant? Well, let's start with the Fed. Uh, which will announce at 2 p.m. whether they raised rates or not. Given all the guidance that we got from various officials, and most specifically from uh, Fed Chair Powell, uh, right before the blackout period, it's very likely they would raise rates. The market's putting like less than 5% probability on that. They also don't have any update of their dot plot or economic projections. So the only thing that we will sort of get, in addition to the, the statement, is you know, Powell's press conference. And given he just spoke two weeks ago, you know, it's unlikely that, you know, he would say anything really different than he did before, leaving the door open for another hike in December, January, sort of validating what, you know, was expected, why the Fed would wait this, you know, not hike this time, which is there's been a lot of a big rise in longer term interest rates. Financial conditions have tightened quite a bit over the past you know, about eight weeks. I think the Fed wants to see how this plays out and how it flows the economy. And they'll have two more months of economic data to make that decision in December if they want to hike again. This is everything he said two weeks ago, so it should in some way be uh, a relative non-event, which is unusual for a Fed meeting. Two other policy events would actually, I think, get more attention. One is the Bank of Japan is meeting on Tuesday, so Monday night in the U.S. 
and there is kind of expectations, or at least you know the possibility that they would raise their target for the 10-year Treasury yield, but also their ceiling for how high they will let the 10-year yield go from 1% to 1.5%. Um, so it's effectively a tightening of monetary policy by the Bank of Japan. Then on Wednesday, the Treasury Department will announce its uh, Treasury supply or issuance for the fourth quarter. Uh, normally, these are pretty technical events, at least the Treasury announcements, but they're important because back in late July, beginning of August, those two catalysts, when the BOJ sort of surprised in sort of relaxing some of its yield curve control measures earlier than expected, and the Treasury announced a much bigger supply of Treasuries in the third quarter versus expectations. Those were deemed to be two of the catalysts for why rates started to rise higher early in the summer, along with stronger economic data. So there's a close eye on these two events. Investors having been sort of surprised by them somewhere, I think the expectations, at least they're girded for the possibility of, of developments, of whether the Treasury supply is, is quite strong, whether the BOJ does change its policies. I think the bar is high for the markets to be surprised. If they end up being sort of in line with expectations, even a little bit less, that could again provide a little bit of a reprieve for the Treasury market in particular, where you can see yields all off signal coming down a little bit. So that's an important you know, policy event, even maybe more so than the Fed this week to, to potentially be catalysts. Then the other big story this week is a lot of economic data. As we move into November, right away we start getting some critical October data, uh, whether it's the ISM on Wednesday. Um, but the, the key thing is I think overall labor market data. There's quite a bit this week, starting on Tuesday with the Employment Cost Index, which comes out quarterly. This is the broadest measure of employment costs. So another quarter where it's rising sort of in line with expectations, not ticking higher, showing sort of a denver, general downward trend. That would give the markets comfort that wage growth is moderating, that the labor market is cooling. And that could be reaffirmed with data from JOLTS, uh, the job openings on Wednesday, and then the October non-farm payrolls on Friday, uh, plus other data on Thursday from initial claims to job cut announcements, things of that sort. So collectively, if the story from all this labor market data shows a labor market continuing to get back in balance, cooling off, wage growth continuing to moderate, I think that will be well received by the markets because it says, you know, this critical part of the economy is cooling and it's a further validation or reason for the Fed not to hike not only this week, but going forward in December and beyond. So I say that's really the economic data this week showing signs of cooling after a very hot summer. That actually would be a, I think, a positive story from the market's perspective. Okay, so a lot of macro points of interest coming up in the days ahead to be mindful of. Of course, we will monitor how this might impact the markets. If we tie this to the markets, Jason, we've been witnessing recently a a bit of pressure in equity markets. The S&P is now down over 10% from its peak during the summer. What do you make of this recent move within equities, Jason, and what does it mean for the investment outlook overall? Well, something we've talked about for the past few weeks is this tension in the marketplace between strong growth on the one hand being that's a good thing versus on the other hand, you know, that could lead to the prospect of higher rates for longer and more Fed tightening, which would be negative for equity markets. So it's this back and forth and you know, getting the, 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 the GDP number sort of validated the view that yes, there is strong growth, but it also then reinforces the idea that the Fed could keep rates higher for longer. And it's certainly been the latter development that's been dominating uh, you know, the equity market performance. In some ways, even though the growth is strong, what the markets are doing is saying, we're looking through this. This is backward looking. It tells us, yes, the summer was strong activity, but things are going to slow. And now, given the big move higher in rates, they're going to slow even more than ex- 
you know, than we were anticipating, say, two months ago. And therefore, the risk of a bigger slowdown in 2024, even potentially a hard landing, uh, those risks have gone up in the minds of investors. Uh, and thing as a result, and if you look at the performance of equities, sort of underneath the hood of the overall S&P 500, look at you know, different sector styles, you know, different kind of stocks, what it's telling you is that the markets are sort of essentially pricing for a bigger potential slowdown in growth. And that's reflected in you know, small cap stocks the past month, kind of underperforming, cyclicals being down, things that are economically sensitive, you know, home builders have been down more than the markets overall, regional banks, uh, whereas defense has actually done a little bit better, you know, so it's, you kind of get a classic situation where if you're worried about recession risk, defenses are doing better than cyclicals. So again, that's consistent with the, the market becoming concerned with growth, despite the fact that the current you know, growth data is, is still quite strong. And then on top of that, you have you know, the uh, Israel-Hamas war, the potential for escalation uh, and being kind of overhang on the markets overall. So that sort of tells us kind of why the markets are down you know, where they are. It doesn't necessarily tell us where we're going to go from here. I would say that at these levels for the S&P down at you know, almost 4,100, uh, down 10% from the peak earlier in the summer, that the risk reward for equities has become more attractive. Uh, we still expect earnings growth next year of about 9%. Uh, guidance has been a little underwhelming uh, during the earnings season, but the actual earnings are still aligned with what we expect. Uh, and given that the economic outlook is still for soft landing, if you get that kind of earnings growth, you know, the valuation that we're talking about now is you know, certainly down from its, its peak level, something more like 17 for the S&P of 100 overall, so a more reasonable level. So given that, uh, we think on a 12-month horizon, you know, decent upside for equities overall. But in the near term, I think this market choppiness that we've seen will probably continue unless or until we see signs of actually the economic data cooling and some of those uh, more restrictive measures of, of monetary policies, at least in the market's mind, that starts to alleviate. And that could happen as soon as this week or it might take a couple more months for the market to become kind of more comfortable with that dynamic. But given that we think that ultimately that economic environment will play out, uh, what we like at this point in time still remains high quality bonds, yields at these levels, you know, especially the long end of the curve, the 10 year close to 5% are an attractive entry point for whether it's treasuries, high quality municipal bonds, a high quality investment grade core bonds, things of that sort that give you attractive yields with a, a risk reward that is kind of clearly to us skewed to the upside, given the economic outlook, how it's likely to play out over the next year. Because if you're worried about a recession, then you should presume that yields are going lower in that situation. Uh, and the unlike the situation where growth slows but inflation stays sticky, that seems like a pretty low risk. Uh, and therefore, high quality bonds are our most preferred asset class, even though equities risk reward is getting more attractive, just near term, I think there's sort of enough choppiness that you know we think that the it can be sort of sideways moving for the time being before ultimately over the next twelve months seeing decent upside for equities. Well, Jason, a very productive conversation this morning to kick off what will be a busy week. Do appreciate the guidance there when it comes to allocation considerations, the color as well on the recent selling pressure in equities. Very helpful. I know that's been a big point of interest and helpful to receive a preview of these key policy events and macro releases over the next few days so plenty for us to follow up on when we connect again next monday though jason thank you for joining us today for sharing your insights and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation again next week you're welcome and have a great week Again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office for the CIO Strategy Snapshot from UBS Studios. I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.